to 1 John. I'm going to be in chapter 5. I'm not going to do all of it, um, but Hannah is going to read from verse 13 through to the end of the chapter. And uh, we'll see what the Lord wants to say to us this morning. All right. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know what know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he, he, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to him. To those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I am not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But he know he but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of evil, the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in in the true one that is in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. Um, if you've read that passage before, it is, it, it's backward and forward. It's quite, there's lots of little um, phrases that John uses that is kind of summing up the, uh, the letter. So thank you, Hannah, for uh, reading that to us. Okay, on there are seven things that I'm going to keep you here till next Christmas with um, that I want to draw out from these verses that I hope will be helpful to you. The first is this, is that we, um, we have... Okay, this is, this is something in our possession. It says, we have eternal life. We have it. Eternal life is not something that we will one day achieve if we're good enough. And if we've been to church enough. And if we've, you know, done all the dis- spiritual disciplines in the world. It, that's, that our eternal life isn't something that is to, to, to come. Our eternal life starts in the here and the now. This, this is radically transformative because when we understand that our eternal life, our life in God is secure now, not because of what we have done, but because of who Jesus is, it changes everything for us because it does mean that we can live from a position of security. I'm not trying to attain it. I'm not trying to grab a hold of it. I'm not trying to clutch at it. I'm not trying to just cling on to this the, to, uh, by, the, by the fingertips. We are secure in Jesus. We have it because of him. Now, John is writing this letter so that the, the Christians of the day can be secure in the knowledge of who they are in Christ because there are false teachers that were seeking to try and distract them who have walked, walked away from the truth of who Jesus is. So they're all mixed up in their teaching. And John is writing to them and saying, I want you to be confident. 
in, in light of what is going on in the world, in, in, this, in the surrounding circumstances, in light of what's going on in the church even, these false teachers that are trying to distract you, I want you to be confident. That's why I had to ask the question right at the beginning. How does this change what we think about our posture as OCC? Because we are secure. And this isn't just a personalized letter. This is written to a community of which individuals are a part. So we can go from the macro, yes, all of us. We, if, we're, if we are in Christ Jesus, we are secure in him. If our hope and our life is in Jesus, we are, we are his. Collectively and individually. Now, I think John um, writes some things, because he does work, use the word if quite a lot. If this is so, then this will happen. If this is true of you, then this is the result. And so he, he, I think there's some probing um, self-examination questions that we can ask of ourselves. Not because of a position of insecurity, because actually all of these, as, as we are, if we're in Christ Jesus, the answer to it is, yeah, I'm loving God. I'm seeking to love God with all that I am, with the, the, the level of revelation that we have at this moment in time. You see, because the more that we walk with Jesus, the more we get to know him and understand him and the more we grow in love for him. So your love and my love for, um, for Jesus is different now because we've walked with him a little while. So it increases, it grows. So that's why Paul writes in Philippians 3, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we've attained. Because he's set within the context of, strive, of, of, of pursuing him, pursuing Jesus, living a life in Jesus. He's saying, just, just let's live to that point. But the, but the more we walk with him, we keep growing. So the problem we have is when we, when we, we evaluate our life and our love for Jesus with somebody else's. Because we don't set it, set it within the context of the journey that they've been on. So the... The pressure's off, all right? So when we say about loving God, you don't have to, it's not about loving God like the way that I love God, the position that I'm at in, in terms of my walk with him. It's simply evaluating your life based upon what you, where you are now and saying, am I, is my pot, the posture of my heart to love God? Second thing is this, the second question we ask, um, am I seeking to live in peace, with you, uh, 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 in peace and unity with my brothers and sisters uh, loving others genuinely for their benefit. And again, I would say that this flows out of that, that first question. Like, at what point, where are you at in your walk with Jesus, and how is that shaping and, uh, and affecting the way that you love other people? The more we love God and the more we grow in God, I would like to suggest, and the more our love for other people increases, and the posture of our heart is, I want the best for them. I want, the, I want to see the other people grow. I want to see you flourish and thrive. I, you know, Paul, Paul writes about, the, about his people. He said if, 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 if he could um, not, not receive the revelation, the salvation, but for, for his own people to have it, and then all be it, because he's other, uh, his, his focus is he wants other people to experience the fullness of what God has. And I think this flows out of that command that we find in John repeatedly is to love one another it's not a suggestion actually it's a it is a command if we're followers of Jesus if we're loving God then the command is that we love 
one another. The third question, evaluation question we can ask is, am I living in the truth? Like so often we, um, we can beat ourselves up, actually, and we think, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing very well, I'm not doing very good. What measure are we evaluating that on? Is it on the basis that Christ has done it for us? Have we received it? If we've received it, then actually allow the truth of God, uh, God's life and character to shape us. But there, are, there is the responsibility for us to evaluate our life. Nobody else can do that for you. I can't do that for you. John can't do that for you. Elders can't do that for you. Is to go, am I? Is this true of me? Is this shaping everything that I am? And again, I want to go back to that first point. It's to the point of which you are now. Not the point of which you will be and you want to be. Not the point of which you used to be. But at this point now, in your walk with Jesus, are these things true? Am I living according to the revelation, the truth that I have come to understand and appreciate at this moment of who Jesus is? Because he is truth. He is truth. Everything about him is true. He is the full embodiment of truth. He, in him, is no deceit. And so if we are in him, we know what is true. And then this leads to a confidence in prayer for us. And this is, this, I think our confidence in prayer flows from a deep connection with God as we hear his voice and respond to his purposes. Dallas Willard says this, generally speaking, we are in God's will whenever we are leading the kind of life he wants for us. Uh, and that leaves a lot of room for initiative on our part, which is essential. Our individual initiatives are central to his will for us. So like, so often we can think about God's will and purposes so, so narrowly. Like we, step, we step out of line and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna zap us. We'll get to what, what his, his will just in a moment. But I want us to understand that the, free, the open space, he leads us into open spaces to enjoy him within the boundaries of his love and his grace and his character. So it's not freedom to do as we please, but it's freedom to live as, he, as he's appointed us and purposed us to live within the context that is our life. It's magnificently freeing. When we think, actually, I, I'm not walking this tightrope. I get to walk with Jesus in conversation, listening to him, responding to him in the very things that he's purposed me to do and placed me to do, uh, to be. It's amazing. Then we, uh, we can move on. So the second thing that we can be assured of is that we know. We know that he will hear our prayers. If the, if the former is true, that we have eternal life in him and we are his, we can have confidence that he hears our prayers. If what? If we pray according to his will. Right? So Romans 12 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because then you'll know his will. So what is his will? His will, I believe, is simple, challenging, and yet focused. It is this, and it's found in 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is God's will, your sanctification. That's it. <laughs> That's his will. 
And he will work out his, your sanctification in every place and circumstance and situation you find yourself in. Because that's his commitment to you. So when we pray in accordance with his will, actually I think we can begin to shift from the shallow end prayers of God, would you bless me? Would you help me? To God, would you shape me? Would you change me? Would you, would you transform me? I think that's when we go from the shallow end into the, moving into the deeper waters of his transforming work and stepping into his will because it's less about what happens outside of us and more about what happens in us. Are you with me so far? All right, so sanctification is his will. So when we pray according to his, his will, we're, we're praying, God, shape me, mold me. And when we're praying for other, our brothers and sisters, is God, would you shape us? Would you shape us? Would you work in, in, fill in the blank, so that they may know you and heart be transformed? And, and sometimes the circumstances we, we, we go through are brutal, aren't they? They're horrific. When we think about the circumstances of life and things that we've experienced in this room, we think, oh, God, if you could change that, then please. But God uses those things. To shape us. I think it's what determines what happens with those things is, is about our response. How do we respond to those things? And I think God uses those, those moments to, to, to work his life in us. Third thing is this, he hears. He hears us. I think it's a promise. It's not a one way. See, this relationship, and I think this is what John is, is driving at, this, is, this life, it's reciprocal. He is in us, and we are in him. And, and it's not far off. Actually, he longs to be with us. And he longs to hear from us. So, in our prayer life, is it, is it simply a, a, a list of things or is it an ongoing dialogue about what you're doing together? I think it's Willard who puts it in such a way. This prayer life is this ongoing conversation between you and God in the midst of the everyday, ordinary moments of life. We can have confidence he hears us. Why? Because he's more committed to fulfilling his purposes in your life and the life of those people around you than you are. He's more committed to your sanctification and my sanctification than we can ever begin to dream or imagine. He's more desiring that you and I become more like Jesus than we can ever, ever get a grasp of. So the invitation is to walk with him and to know him and allowing our lives to be shaped by him. And then we move on to the... Um, God's, God's will is being worked out in our lives. And, and we get to the complicated verses of verses 16 and 17. If you, I don't know whether you got stuck there and kind of go, what on earth is happening there? Like, we can get so tied up in knots about those things, which is really, it, it, it is, I mean, it's complicated. It's backward and forward. It's it, it kind of trying to dig in and around it. So what does he have in mind? Well, actually, uh, I think it's, the the sin that doesn't lead to death. They're the they're the they're the things that we do unint- often unintentionally, 
And there are, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there are things that we sometimes do intentionally. Or is that just me? Okay. All right. So there's some sins that... <laughs> Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. It is just me who's the, the dirty, rotten sinner. Um, and so we, there are things that we do that actually don't lead to death, but they do harm us. They do damage our soul. And so when we see somebody in our communities who may be going down a path, you think, oh, just don't go down there because it, 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 I, we, we see it. Like, what do we do? Oh, I told you so. Or do we reach out and pray for them? I think that's what he says, pray for them. Pray that, pray that their hearts and their eyes would be open to see what's happening and they might be able to call it out as it is. But like, let's pursue people. And then he says, that, 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 but there is a sin that is, is, is beyond it. What's that? Because is there anything that's beyond God's grace and love? Well, I think it does relate to the, the, the false teachers of the day, actually. I think he's got them in mind. Because it wouldn't make sense otherwise to include that. They're people that have, have been a part of this community, but have stepped away from it. They've moved away from the truth of who Jesus is. They've, they've ceased to believe in Jesus. And they've hardened their hearts to Jesus. And so they've, they've removed themselves from his, uh, his protection. They've removed themselves from his grace and his love. Now, the, the other thing is, I think it's really important. I think it's in Mark 3, 20, 29, where it talks about the unpardonable sin, the sin of blasphemy. Right? And that's when somebody sets their heart and goes, I, I want no, I'm nothing to do with God. Don't even believe in him. Anything that happens is, is, is just whatever. It's that closing of a heart that is so hardened, it's, it's impenetrable. Now, I'd like to think there are, they, those kind of people are few and far between. I'd like to think that in, in the age in which we live, it's just that they're, they're caught up with so many things and so many philosophies and ideas that just, they just haven't had somebody who can demonstrate what it looks like to be full of life in Jesus. But there, there could well be people who have so hardened their hearts that actually this text applies to. Now, who's, if you like, fault whose fault is that who's closing off their heart is is that their, their response is i want nothing to do with with god is god's desire that all people would come to a saving knowledge of him absolutely it is he would love nothing more than every single human per, being on planet earth to respond to him in love but we do have this complicated text by recognizing that some people will close their hearts. But let's not close our hearts. Let's keep our hearts open and soft and supple to those around us, whether it's, a, whether it's brothers and sisters who are going, um, are going off track. Now, those that go off track and maybe don't acknowledge it, God's grace is, is far bigger than we can ever begin to imagine. And so there is a text in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 30, uh, 11 to 15, where Paul talks about build, he, him building on the foundation that is Jesus. Uh, so, uh, some people build on with, with silver, gold, and costly stones, and others with hay and straw. And, and it will be tested. The quality of our building, our life will be tested. Our life together will be tested, sometimes by fire and trial. What remains will, will demonstrate what we've built upon. But he does say that, that even if all of that's burnt up, 
he will, himself will be saved. Why? Because of God's abiding grace. His power to save and to keep. What's the better way? To build our life upon with gold and silver. Why? Because that will last and stand the test of time. Why would we want to just scrape in when the invitation is to know the fullness of life that is available in him? Because why? Eternal life starts in the here and the now. The fullness of God is available to us to step into and to know him. Number five, he keeps us. This is, and I think this is flows in uh, from these other these verses of, of 16 and 17. In verse 18, it says this. Um, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. And by the way, that means uh, keeps on sinning. It's the repetitive, habitual, keep going back time after time after time. Because the power of sin has been broken in us because of the resurrection life at work in us. Um, but then he, go, he goes on to say, but the one who is born of God keeps him. The one who is born of God keeps him. All right, And the evil one does not touch him. First, uh, in, in John 17... Jesus talks of his, him keeping his own. So this is the confidence that we have. That if we do mess up, if we do sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Because all we need to do is confess it to him. Bring it to him and allow him to shape us. Allow him to heal us. Allow him to forgive us. We have that confidence that he is our great high priest. See, we no longer dwell in sin, no longer dwell in the world. If you're in Christ Jesus, we dwell in him and he in us. So therefore, sin's power is broken. That is fact. That's a fact that you and I can step into. That's a fact that we can live from. Is that sin's power is broken and Jesus has us. The creator of the world, the one who holds all things together, holds you and me together. He holds us and he has us. Number six, we are. We are of God. We're not under the influence of the world anymore. Our influence has changed. Our worldview has changed. Our posture has changed. Our position has changed. We're not influenced by the things that we once were because we are in God that's that's an incredible promise and it's all because Jesus is number seven Jesus is it says this in verse 20 and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one we are in the true one, that is, in, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We are because he is. It's all because of him. Now, to illustrate this point, um, Hannah drew me a little, little paper man. Because... God's word is truth. Everything about him is true. So we are no longer outside of him. We are in him. 
Secure in him. Safe in him. Bound in him. He is in us. And we are in him. We are because Jesus is. So how do we begin to live this life out? And with this, I will come to close. Because it's important. We've got, uh, we've got to grapple with this. Is it, is it all God's work or is it, is it, is, do we have some involvement in this? Because we can wait for God to do things that actually he's saying, come on, step into this. So Dallas Willard wrote this. He says, sometimes we can think of spiritual formation as formation by the Holy Spirit. That's essential. We can't evade it. Formation by the Holy Spirit. But now I have to say something that may be challenging to you to think about. Spiritual formation is not all by the Holy Spirit. None without the Holy Spirit. But there is always more involved. And here again, we can run into the problems of passivity over, act, uh, over against activity. Here lies the deepest challenge to the very idea of obedience to Christ in our times. We have to recognize that spiritual formation in us is something that is also done to us by those around us, by ourselves, and by activities which we voluntarily undertake. We voluntarily undertake. God will not force us to do anything. He invites us to work with him and walk with him and each other. We need, in, if we're going to be formed in Christ, like we can't do that in isolation. We actually need community around us who will, if, we, if they see us going astray, will draw us back in. So what are some of the things that we can do? Well, I think we can look at um, things, spiritual practices such as, as, as prayer and silence and solitude, which isn't an, in isolation. But we bring that into the context of the community in which we live. But actually, I, I would like to suggest that each morning at 6.30 and in the evening at 10, 10, 10 p.m., there's opportunities to pray with others. To be embedded into a life of community praying together. Sometimes we don't know what to pray or how to pray. It's a great opportunity to learn, actually, how to, how to pray. To be in that kind of community with others. I think prayer, prayer is, is the, I think, is the primary discipline for us as Christians, along with, with, with reading of Scripture and allowing Scripture to read us, that is a bedrock for our foundation. The, others, uh, the other practices are really helpful. But I think they find, uh, for me, I think they find their, their place in those, those two just disciplines that are foundational to who we are. They, they provide the basis from which we can explore other things. And so I think prayer. How do, we, how do we begin to pray? What does that look like? Well, actually, you may need some people just to be around you to help with that. Um, Bible reading. Um, you can invest in a, you could invest in a, a study Bible. Or use some online resources. If you want to know where to go, you want some devotional material that we can recommend. Uh, any, uh, John, Alan, Phil, or I, we can suggest that. But also anybody who's been on the School of Formation will be able to point you in the direction of what that could look like. Some resources. There's loads out there. And so, a lot of it for free. Just, you might need some help going into some of the, um, uh, just yeah, where to go. You could join the School of Formation, which actually takes place this afternoon. It's the second one. 
which may be a bit too late for some of you, but if you're, if you're free and you want to join and jump in and say, actually, what does this life of formation look like in the context of community, then come along. We're going to be meeting our building in Shottery at 1.30. Um, I think we've got some lunch provided. Um, come and join us and, and begin that journey of exploration of formation. But it's, God's not going to do something that he's inviting us to do. And this is the important part. Um, get involved in a missional household. All right, so we... Um, we have f- currently four missional households that take place, one of, one of which is here in Tiddington, uh, which uh, my, Rachel and my wife, we, we have host. Um, there's others in Stratford and Studley and Ulster. And so we're, we, there's opportunity to connect with others in the process of formation. Um, commit to a people. You read this letter and... This, these, these aren't random things that are picked out. Actually, I think we find these things, all right, you wouldn't use the term missional household, but the being in community and commitment to a people are paramount to our formation. We can't, I don't think we can be formed when we just parachute in every now and again into community and just drop in and think, oh, yeah, I'll come in now. I think there's, it's a commitment to a people that's, that's beyond the... The vision is beyond the activities. It's saying, actually, I want to be with my people. We're not just a collection of people that are thrown together. Sometimes it might feel like it. We're a people. And there's commitment to a people. Open people. Not an exclusive people, but people who say, come and join us and come and join what God is doing. And then finally, ruthlessly eliminate anything that is a limiting factor on you, me, our community stepping into the fullness that God has purposed and intended us to live with. Ruthlessly eliminate. What are the things, as you were thinking about that question, what are the things in your life and in my life that are getting in the way of me experiencing the fullness of that which Christ has purposed me for. Because I think when we, when we start to live that way, eliminating those things and, and increasingly growing holiness in transformation, then I think the things that God has placed in our heart actually begin to become a reality. And so my encouragement to you as we close this letter is to don't miss out. Don't miss out on what God has purposed you to live for. To experience in him. To know in him. And it is indeed true life. True life. And so I did say, at the end of my message, I would give opportunity for any questions. I'm hoping that I've been comprehensive enough. (laughs) But if there are any questions, any observations or reflections... Now's your time to share them. If not, we'll think we'll sing like, close with a song. Anybody? Yes, Matt. You mentioned about the, the, the teachers of day turned their back on God and walked away, and that might be one of the eternal sin, but it's not. But if you, if you go to, we've been adopted into God's family as Christians, and adoption implies a legal right. Um, so if I adopt a son, he has the same legal right as my actual son. And if that adopted son decides to turn his back on me, 
he's still my son and he could never leave my family because he's legally adopted. So how do you end up walking away from eternity? Yeah. Good question. Really great question. I think that's where Paul's writing is helpful about in terms of building foundation. So you can be a part of the family but not experience the, the benefits of family. So even if an adopted son walks away, they're still part of the family, but maybe because of a choice that they've made, um, have stepped outside of the benefits of being a part of that family in the here and the, the now. Um, I think when it comes to those teachers... I mean, there is, a, there is a, a, an argument that is put that if we've experienced the life of Jesus in us truly, then how can anybody walk away? So the question would be, I think, for those teachers, and maybe that's what John is, is trying to drill at, actually. Have, have those that are now pushing this message, did they, did they really grab a hold of who Jesus is? Because I'm not sure, having experienced the goodness of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus, the life of Jesus, it's as easy to walk away. Even if that means sometimes we drift outside of the, the, the safety, security of the family. Um, I think salvation is God's. It's God's to give and it's God's to hold and, and he's the author of it. And so I think adoption, adoption means adoption. I think there's benefits. Is that, may yeah, help? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the way that um, also Jesus is the only way so God has made that way for every, every single person and like you say um, his will his desire is that no one would want to walk away from him and go their own way and it's completely out like free will and choice so even if so, so if we're so close hearted which is completely different from drifting and uh, but um, absolutely deny what God has done and that he even exists there is no salvation because there's just one way and that is by coming to Jesus. So. Yeah, it's, it's a massive thing because it's, it's God who holds it, you know, and um, yeah, brilliant. Any other? If not, we're going to pray and um, we'll sing. If you, if you do need to go and get the kids because um, I think just about hit the 45 minutes. That wasn't all me talking, by the way. That does include some discussion. Um let me pray. And then uh, those of you who need to go and get kids, please do. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your incredible love that is demonstrated in and through Jesus, the resurrected saviour of the world, the one in whom we have life and life in all its fullness. So Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to be a community of people who demonstrate what that life looks like and not simply in our gatherings as we celebrate the goodness of your, your, of your mercy, but as we live our lives in the ordinary places and spaces that we'll spend the rest of this week, that we'll be full of the joy and the life that you have in us and, and deposited in us because of who you are, Jesus. So help us to obey, help us to live a full life, help us to trust you with an increasing, uh, increasing level this week uh, for your goodness, uh, for, your, for your glory, for the benefit of our lives in you, individually and, to, and together, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I say-